Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So, pre-episode, Brad simultaneously coughing and I think it was burping. I'm not sure. We should check that all of your internal organs are still in the right place. And then Evan starts giggling at the end. As I'm doing like the recap of what we're going to of our uh, like walkthrough for the episode. <laughs> Evan, what's so funny? I was watching a video of some guy got hit in the face with a piece of sheet metal and someone dubbed a boing sound effect over it. <laughs> <laughs> so in case we've ever given you the thoroughly incorrect uh, impression that we have it together, I promise you this is of the norm. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, another remote episode as Brad's body goes through it, TM, uh, here to talk to all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, hockey all over the place. Hockey all over the place. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. Going through it, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Evan, you ready to do some heavy lifting this episode? Because I am genuinely concerned for Brad's lungs. No, I'm not. We're we're All doing right, better this- than we were on Wednesday. Are, okay, you know what? I thought so, but then you did the cough burp thing at the same time, and I was like, that was unholy. Like, I need to call. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> just because to- it's a Sunday. That had nothing to do with this illness. Got it. Yeah, that's fair. At least you got some grace in your day. On this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, we'll talk about the ever-evolving uh, head coaching search, what we know and what we don't know from that. Uh, as is usual, we have to glean uh, information from the rest of the league because the Eisenman camp certainly does not leak that out. Uh, we'll be talking about those coaches pertinent to the Red Wings and, of course, uh, other teams searching like Philly, Winnipeg, Vegas, what have you. Uh, we'll be taking a look at a prospect profile for a really notable defenseman and probably one of those where they're going to be gone before the Red Wings pick. But hey, as we've seen in the draft, anything can happen. And it's worth noting those players who could be in range at eighth overall. Uh, additionally, we are going to be taking a look at the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Eastern Conference final that just finished between Tampa Bay and New York before getting into some predictions and odds on the Tampa Bay, Colorado Stanley Cup final that's upcoming. So quite a bit happening in the world of hockey before we do all that we want to call out the jamie daniels foundation is an organization we're very very proud to support uh through our wings money on the board campaign which was started with our good friend prashant Iyer. uh we're hoping to reach that thirty thousand dollar uh mark for fundraising for the 2021-2022 season and the Calder Trophy announcement will hopefully be the trigger that pushes that over the edge. So thank you all of you who have contributed. Uh, We really, really, really appreciate it. The flannels that we made, the Winged Wheel Podcast, Mickey Redmond flannels, they uh, are in production almost We've almost received all of them, and then we just have to do a few back-end things to get them live for you on our store, and a portion of the proceeds from every sale of all of those flannels, which were you know, created by popular demand, you didn't really give us a choice, which I'm happy about, uh, will benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So thank you so much uh, for all of your support. And speaking of Prashant Iyer, who I just mentioned, make sure you read the If I Were Steve Eisman series up on the wingwheelpodcast.com blog. Uh, part three is currently up, and it's all about the NHL draft. So very, very, very relevant right now uh really love prashantha's previous version where he talked about all the or a lot of the head coaches that are available to detroit of all different types and now with the draft part as well 
um, really just comprehensive look at a lot of Detroit's offseason. So looking forward to parts four and five. It started as a three-part series, so I'm I'm hoping for Prashant's sake it ends at five, but hey, I'll, we'll never complain about more content. So check that out. The link will be in the description below. Okay, the Detroit Red Wings still without a head coach. Evan, have you gotten the call yet? Nope, I'm still waiting. I, I suspect it will be this week. Evan, if you got the call, would you tell us? Nope. Nah, that's good. You're still a candidate. That's awesome. Uh, so we've figured out some more information, as was reported by various people in the hockey world, uh, about the Red Wings head coach. Let's start with David Quinn, former New York Rangers head coach. I think there's been varying opinions on him, and Frank Saravalli reported that he's uh, interviewed with or has talked to the Detroit Red Wings about their vacant head coaching position. So that one was a little bit of a surprise to me, but I guess we shouldn't be surprised to see David Quinn's name pop up again. Uh, he's been linked to a lot of different teams. It's not only Detroit. So by no means would I put him as a favorite or even a likely uh, contender. But as Eisman said, he's going to talk to anyone and everyone who could be a fit. Uh, so what do we think about the former Rangers coach and in terms of fit, how he would be with Detroit? Well, when you mentioned David Quinn, or when Sir Volley mentioned David Quinn interview with the Red Wings, my immediate reaction was, I have no memory of this man. I could tell you he was the coach of the Rangers, and that was about it. Um, I know that he didn't last a terribly long time there, and they weren't a terribly good team when he was there, but this was when they were in the rebuild. Uh, so it could be a case of give him something more to play with and he could be good but given where the red wings are at in their rebuild that was around when he was there with the rangers so if they didn't want him to see it through uh if they didn't want him to see it through there gives me pause about why the red wings would want to see him have him see it through here yeah you know it was interesting i agree with you brad it was a little bit of a surprise to see his name um not that I don't remember much about him. I, I Obviously, he was the head coach of the Rangers. I think previously his experience was like one season as assistant coach with the Avalanche. Uh, but other than that, largely in the NCAA or the AHL. Um, I did some digging on him and chatted with some people who would know a little bit more about David Quinn. And the general concern that has come up was how he works with – and this is going to be a theme – across a lot of potential NHL coaches, how he works with the young kids, not just in terms of like interpersonal relationships and coaching them through, but how he deploys them in the lineup. Um, there was a lot of conversation that I've had with people about, you know, Capocacco and his struggles with New York. A lot of people think David Quinn and his deployment and handling of him as a rookie uh, has something to do with that. Uh, additionally, Lafreniere, he's obviously turned it on as of late, uh, especially towards the second half of the season. So that's a little bit different now. Um, for a coach who has so much NCAA experience and a some AHL experience, but notably doesn't like playing the kids as it was quoted to me. That's enough to get to raise a little bit of a red flag or at least put him in the I'm skeptical column. And again, you have to talk to anyone who's possibly a candidate. And like we mentioned before, people grow and change in their jobs. David Quinn was a first time NHL head coach, so there's no saying that he can't improve. To make this relatable to Red Wings fans, Jeff Blashill for a long time was a first time NHL coach. Who knows what a change of scenery is going to do for him? So, you know, not ruling anyone out 
because of that. But in terms of what we've seen so far and it being a little limited, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence uh, in David Quinn for me personally. It all remains to be seen. So, you know, I understand the old school thinking with coaches. And again, since it's going to be a theme, might as well talk about it, about, you know, the old school coaches who don't deploy the kids. And there's logic to that. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not uh, necessarily a bad thing because, you know, you're an NHL coach. You don't give a shit about next year. You don't care about is this player going to be a player in seven years? If we win today, I keep my job tomorrow. So coaches are meant to coach traditionally to win. And the problem with rookies is their games aren't refined. Um, They'll make mistakes in some of the smaller aspects of the game. Um, There's a reason a lot of rookies come into the NHL. They're poor positionally. They lose board battles. Like the not super important things in the game, but the still important things, especially to coaches. You know, the, the, I remember the example we talked about uh, last year, the year before was why, why was Darren Helm getting so much more ice time than Evgeny Svechnikov hypothetically? Well, cause Helm was better at the little things and he wouldn't make those mistakes, even though he couldn't do anything in the offensive zone where Svechnikov could coaches trust the guy who's not going to make a mistake. So I understand the logic there. Now, if you can get a coach to buy in on, Hey, play the young kids that tends to help the development more. Like you look at Detroit this year, Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider played all 82 games in first line roles, first pair roles, and they are better for it. They could handle it. Not everybody can do that, but Mo Sider made his mistakes. Lucas Raymond made his mistakes, but they are much better players today than they were at the start of the season. Uh, but they're superstars, so they might not be the best example. You know who started getting a lot of playing time towards the end of the year and, and was getting better towards the end of the year? Joe Valeno. So... I don't care how the coach deploys him in terms of lines, combos, that kind of stuff. You obviously want them to build lines to match their strengths. You don't want Lucas Raymond playing with Adam Ernie, but they can't, the coach can't be afraid to give them ice time. He can't be afraid to let them make mistakes because I think in the modern NHL with how talented most young players coming in are like the gap between you know, an Adam Ernie and you pluck any random 20 year old out of junior hockey right now is significant, but not nearly as significant as it used to be. These guys can hang skill wise just because that's the way they're taught, the way they're brought up now. Um, so if you give them runway to make those mistakes early, the better they'll be for it long term. So if a guy like David Quinn has had a lot of problems with that and he's not going to be that guy, he shouldn't be that guy. Like we've dumped on Jeff Blashill more than anybody, but Jeff Blashill was the guy who the guy who gave these guys the rope this year. He didn't in previous years, but he adapted and you know, it worked. Um not for team success, but that didn't matter this year. So, I don't know. It's we're going to have this hypothetical for every coaching candidate because everybody's going to say every old school coach is the same way. Oh, Tortorella doesn't play the rookies. Oh, Cassie doesn't play the rookies. Trotz doesn't play the rookies. Okay, well, we're going to have to live with however this works. And Eisenman's going to have to be damn sure he has his vision laid out clearly for whoever it hires. And again, I don't have the answer. So 
to kind of circle back to David Quinn, if he has a history of not being that guy, he probably shouldn't be that guy. Elsewhere within the world of coaches, uh, it was confirmed that Bruce Cassidy has at least talked uh, with or about coaching the Red Wings. So uh, that link shouldn't be a surprise. Think of everything Eisenman said and think of the the stature of Cassidy on the coaching market. Uh, he's available. His press conference after um, being fired by Boston was pretty interesting. So I'm curious to see how, how all of that unfolds. There is, you know, a lot of credence to the rumors that have come out about his clashing with some of the young players on the team. But there's a lot still in question in terms of the exact why of him being let go, the scale of the issues and whether, you know, they're being used to pull him under the bus or maybe it is bigger than people are giving it credit for and there is something there so still Cassidy linked to the Red Wings trots was still has still been mentioned as a possibility for the Red Wings there is the expectation that those teams those lists may might be whittled down soon I'm thinking trots will probably come first just because of how long that process has been going teams like the Flyers have been moving along in their interview process and they'll want to hear back same with like the Winnipeg's you don't really know where Detroit is at in their timeline. Um, a little note about that in, in the lightning in a second, but you would expect Trotz to start to reach out to those teams that he's definitely not going to go with. I would imagine within the next little while we're approaching, we're less than a month away from the draft. So um, that information is, is going to slowly come out and probably a little bit of uh, uh, inference is going to need to be made to, to figure out how that relates to the Red Wings, but we're getting there. So, with Trotz, I think we might know soon-ish. Cassidy, there's been a mention that that might follow suit, but he, again, he, that one's still pretty fresh. The only other note with Red Wings and, and coaching is um, it was noted by Elliot Friedman uh, that a lot of people have mentioned to him that they wouldn't be surprised if Steve Eiserman is waiting basically for the cup final to be over because uh, he's going to want to talk to anyone and everyone related to Tampa Bay coaching. So their assistant coaches are, you know, notably and maybe a favorite for the job, Derek Lalonde. Uh, and then should also be called out that Jeff Halpern and Rob Zettler are assistant coaches over there. And then let's not forget Benoit Grew, the head coach of the Syracuse Crunch, their AHL affi- affiliate. So there's a chance Eisenman could have quietly talked to them during the playoffs, during a break. Um, that would just require Tampa Bay's permission really for them to go interview or interview virtually or however they did it. Uh, but Without knowledge of that, you could just say, yep, there's not going to be a decision made until Eisman's talked to these guys because he wants a comprehensive process. So, I mean, seeing Tampa Bay now move to their third consecutive cup final on the verge of a three-peat, which is almost unheard of in the modern NHL. Well, it is unheard of in the modern NHL. It's not a big leap to think, yeah, Eisman's going to want to talk to all of these people that he knows well, he's worked or managed maybe directly before, and have a pedigree and proven success over time. So that to me seems like the most reasonable, logical rumor that's come up of the very, very many that have come come our way over this. I mean, it makes sense. You go with what you know. And uh, I don't know exactly all of his interactions with the Tampa Bay assistant general managers, but he's the guy who put Cooper in place. So obviously, if they've been working with Cooper, he knows that they're going to at least have aligned somewhat closely philosophically to what Eisman did in the last coach he hired all right more to come on that I'm sure um we'll see how that unfolds I don't think the clock is ticking I I think now with the Stanley Cup final and in Tampa Bay being firmly in there we might have to wait a, a little while yet for that to finish but 
I think we're going to start to see some some pieces move within the, the broader scheme of the coaching world. Other notable Red Wings news, and one that we didn't mention during the intro, but is probably the biggest Red Wings news to come out over the last little while, Elmer Soderblom, the towering behemoth, has signed his entry-level contract and is officially coming over to North America. So one way or another, he'll be playing in the state of Michigan. Uh, Grand Rapids is the likely uh, outcome with the Griffins probably getting his services next year. But hey, you never know. Could make the Red Wings out of camp too. But it was expected, uh, but Elmer Soderblom signs his ELC. Another big step in the Red Wings rebuild, quite literally, as this is a massive, massive man. What can the Red Wings and the Griffins expect from Soderblom this year? Uh, reach, length, um, different weather reports and different atmospheres. No, I coming over, I don't know realistically what to expect from him. That's the thing, because... SHL, despite talent-wise being pretty close to the AHL, different systems, bigger ice, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think Soderblom's going to come to Grand Rapids and kick the doors down like Jonathan Bergeron did. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him put up 15, maybe 20 goals this year because uh, he's, you know, he's a goal scorer. He's not going to be the guy who's putting up 20, 40 every year. He's going to be a 30, 20 guy at best. Um, but yeah, so as long as Grand Rapids is deploying him as the type of player he is, cause I'm still super nervous. The Red Wings are going to try and shoehorn him into being just a pure power forward, which he is not. He is a skill forward who just happens to be six foot seven, six foot eight. If they can teach him to be that while utilizing all of the advantages of being six, seven, six, eight, I'm, I'm super excited to see what he'll do next year. Um, but yeah, for the counting stats this year, I don't think it'll be anything significant. I just want to see how he progresses, like I said, as a player. Yeah, you know, I, I get that, Brad. Just to to give an overview, Soderblom is a massive, massive player and one who kind of plays not like his size. He's been listed at a lot of different heights. Let's take an average of like 6'7", 215. Like that's, that's where he's sitting at. And he stick handles and controls a puck and plays around the net like he's you know eight nine ten inches shorter than that and is much closer to the ice and puck with how nimble he is how silky his hands are um that said what's the biggest issue for players coming over from europe and adjusting to the north american game space timing physicality sure elmer soderblom is not you know this monumental power forward he's not you know dustin bufflin trucking people out on the ice he's not you know bowling over people and just straight crashing his way to the net but like you said brad if you can lean on those things and use those to influence his game i think that can be used as a great tool to kind of cut down elmer soderblom's transition time and that's obviously going to be a focus for the red wings yeah, he was a sixth round pick in 2019, 159th overall. So obviously a big success success story for that pick. But he's going to get a lot of development and focus. They know they have something in him. And they've known for a long time they have something in him. Eisenman has said in the past, you know, people have started to know, notice him over the past season or two. But that stuff that kind of looks almost magical out there, we saw that from day one, which is why we're so high on this guy. So yeah, he's going to have a big focus to get adjusted over there. The adjustment period is why I don't think it's likely, and this isn't a hot take, that he makes the Red Wings out of camp, but I do think he has the tools to kind of make that process easier than than a lot of other players in his position. Yes and no. Um, 
Because the thing with small players on small ice is, it's going to sound overly simplistic, they're still small. They don't take up a lot of space on the ice. They're harder to get to. Soderblom's wingspan is so big, he can't handle that puck in his feet. He's He takes up space. So the less space he has, the easier the defenseman will be able to close gaps on him. Because, you know, this puck enters his zone three and a half minutes before he does when he's coming off the rush, when he's, you know, in space now along the boards and he's got his ass to the defenseman. Well, yeah, then all of a sudden having that 32 feet of length is going to help him protect the puck, but that's only useful if you get there first, right? Now, will he be a primary puck carrier in the HL dinner shell? No, he probably not, nor should he be. If you can get him with someone like a Jonathan Bergeron who can, you know, enter the zone, set things up, and be the the primary playmaker, and then Soderblom can work inside the offensive zone. I think that's his ideal role. And then he can start to use his size to his advantage. So in a lot of ways, it is, in most ways, I should say, it is an advantage for him. But being that big, getting to the smaller ice, there are some more difficulties uh, that are going to be presented to him that he didn't have on the bigger ice. I'm just happy for Lars. Yeah, no kidding. He's been uh, he's been the prophet for, as he calls it, the towering behemoth of Elmer Soderblom for a long time. So I know Lars is going to be happy that a lot of the people who might not have had the chance to watch his SHL stuff are going to have a chance to watch him in North America. I'm excited to see how he does in camp. I'm excited to see how he does likely in Grand Rapids. And let's be real, Griffin's fans deserve some good stuff. Yeah, they had Bergeron last year, but I know a lot of them were expecting Lucas Raymond. So uh, I think he'll he'll. He'll have fun in Grand Rapids, and I think Griffin's fans will as well, and we'll enjoy watching him there. But again, we'll see. You never know. It could make a splash. I think you have to kind of leave that op- that door open for every Red Wings prospect. But I will just take a- this moment to say, please, please, please don't apply the Moritz Sider, Lucas Raymond path to every upcoming Red Wings prospect. That means Soderblom. That means Simon Edvinson. Those were atypical, like super, super abnormal. You can't expect that year in and year out. It certainly would be great. And each one is like a resounding success every time it happens. But if, you know, for example, Simon Edvinson or whoever's drafted eighth overall this year or wherever the Red Wings end up picking, um, if they don't make a splash in year one of their, you know, NHL eligibility, so to speak, that's okay. And they could still turn out to be a great player. So just, uh, just try to temper expectations a little bit. Uh, before we move over here, I do want to call out um, Max had a really great article that I forgot to mention last episode, uh, essentially read out player profiles to the prospects at the combine. And it was a really fun read. I loved seeing what Frank Nazer said uh, about the profile of him. It's fun to see players and prospects push back on some of the notions of their game. Um, you know, Matt Savoy's comments on whether or not he could be a center, I thought were super interesting. And should it move the needle on on what your perception is of the prospect? Not necessarily, but I couldn't help but think, you know, for the center conversation, if if Matt Savoy isn't firmly out there saying, oh, no, no, I think I can play center. These people are wrong. And instead, he's just saying, I think I can play both and I'll do whatever an NHL team wants me to do. It's not like he's giving up on the center position, but it almost really kind of confirms what a lot of the conventional thinking is around Savoy, which is that he'll likely end up as a winger at the very least to start. So you don't that think is so? Not Savoy. That is absolutely not Savoy punting on being a center. That's him 
just doing typical hockey player speak. I'll do whatever's in the best interest of the team. Because if he comes out and says, yeah, I'm a center. And then the team goes, oh, he's on the wing. Bet he doesn't like it there. He said he wants, he's just, it's hockey talk. I am here for whatever the team wants. I'm here to be a good teammate. I'm here to be a good employee of insert whatever team drafts me here. That's all that is. That is a thousand percent a non-statement. Look, you're right. And I'm, I, I mean it when I say it. I'm not using this to paint my picture of these players, but imagine Savoy did come out and say, no, I'm a center. Like, I know why people think that. Of course, I'll, play, I'll do whatever the team wants me to do, but I really think I could be a center at the NHL level. Would that not amp you up and really want you want Detroit or make you want Detroit to take him at eighth overall? See, in it depends on the context. So obviously, this is in the context of the draft. So if he said that, all I would hear is, Oh yeah, I'm a center. Please pick me three spots higher. Like he'd be, he'd just be advertising himself. Like no player is going to give their true opinion at this time of year. That's at least not to the public, to the media. You know, you get, you get good context to a lot of things and players give you, uh, fantastic additions to some already public perceptions, right? Which was why Max's article was great. But I don't think they're making any declarations here. Well, why don't you go read Max's article? Let us know what you think. It's titled, What Do NHL Draft Prospects Think of Their Scouting Reports? We Asked Them on the Athletic Detroit. Always worth the price of admission. Uh, a lot of Frank Nazer fans will like it, I feel. Okay. Speaking of prospects, we'll talk about one in just a second here. But first, I want to mention that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. There are tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back inside credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back inside credit. Now, what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet, and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay, let's jump over to the NHL draft here. And uh, there's a defenseman who we haven't really talked about in a, a concerted way yet. His name is Simon Nemich, and I think he deserves the conversation for Red Wings fans to hear, even though of all players who could fall, and this is a wild draft, I would put him among the least likely outside of, you know, the Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, Uri Slavkovsky tier. Simon Nemich, right-handed defenseman out of uh, HK Nitra. Nitra. What do we make of him and the splash he's making in terms of defensive prospects this season? Well, a much different player, but a lot of the same conundrums as 
Mo Sider had going into his draft. Obviously a very, very good player. Fantastic world championship. Playing in one of the lower level men's leagues in Europe. Still the top Slovakian league. But it's not the SHL. It's not the KHL. It's not Liga. It's not even the Alsenskan. Like, there's not a lot of data. There's not a lot of um, comparables from previous years. But he's still a 17-year-old playing in a men's league, putting up ridiculous numbers. He went to the World Championships and had a near record, well, a record-breaking World Championship for a U18 defenseman. So there's no denying his talent. It's just going to be a matter of how does it translate up levels with very little context of, of past experiences with players in this league. So he's one of those defensemen kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Evan Bouchard in his draft year where there's not a lot flashy about him, but he just does everything so well. And he just reads the play so well and he's able to translate that intelligence, that calmness in his game into offense. So it's not just like he's the guy who slows the game down to let his playmakers capitalize. He slows the game down. I don't even know if that's the right way to put it, but he's able to control the game and then himself produce the offense as well. Um, he's good in all three zones, great on transition. Obviously, the offensive zone seems to be his calling card so far. So he's one of the highest ceiling prospects in this draft because his type of that type of player, if they hit at the NHL level, they hit. He could make a huge impact in every aspect of the game. Yeah, that last point, Brad, is really where I land with Nemec. I agree. You know, coming out of the Slovakian league, you just never know what he's going to do. Um, it's underscouted, so. You know, not every underscouted league turns into a Maurice Sider drafted at six overall when a lot of teams are now saying they would take him one or two. But there's there's there, there's risk and there's an opportunity to kind of find a market inefficiency here, inefficiency here to get, like you said, Brad, a player who's going to hit in a big way at the pro level. Nemich is poised and he's refined and he's a super smart defenseman and he has the talent and the skill offensively moving the puck up the ice really playing in all three zones where i would say he's worth the risk yeah it's in the slovakian league but brad you mentioned he had a fantastic world championship pretty much every step of the way people have been more and more on board with simon nemich as a as a top prospect because of everything that he's done to prove it at every level that he's been you know given the opportunity to yeah, and okay, look at this in terms of the Red Wings. He shoots right, so immediately you think, well, Maurice Sider is the Red Wings' number one uh, right-pairing defenseman or right-shot defenseman. Yeah, sure. You need more than one good one, though, so that doesn't rule him out for me. There's a different conversation here for you know centers or left defensemen or whatever, and those are all very valid, but just talking positionally for a second here, he's good enough and, and the Red Wings could still use it. His offensive production is fantastic. The way he thinks the game is really, it's really noticeable. I agree, Brad, that he's not flashy, but the control he elicits over the pace of play, over the ice, the way the puck moves, you really get responsible defensemen who can also be a power play one quarterback. That to me doesn't sound completely unlikely for him. It is hard to have a defenseman, you know, not 
ranked one or two overall in the entire draft and say this guy should be a top pairing top pairing defenseman but i really do think nemich should be a top pairing defenseman i've really come around on him over time yeah i think like if i was gonna think of some knocks on his game it's it's that his confidence is a bit of a double-edged sword and i think you kind of see that all the time with guys playing in lower leagues who are going to be in the nhl they they're ultra confident they know their skill set the competition they're playing against isn't overly great and um sometimes his his confidence can lead to mistakes but i mean that is such a small gripe on his game um the only other thing i could prop maybe think of is you know he's 6'1 192 pounds it's not really that big anymore for nhl defensemen um and he doesn't physically impose himself on other players that's another tiny tiny gripe that i would have but overall like his 200 foot game is is so good for someone his age and i don't know i (laughs) there's there's not a snowball's chance in hell he's he's there at eight in my opinion i wouldn't even be surprised if he's there at at, at four yeah no I, i think it was scott wheeler who had him ranked second overall and you can't really knock it right yeah i'm not sure i would do that if i was the red wings but if he's there at eight do you take him over savoy Nazer and whoever your third favorite likely pick is yeah probably i mean the thing with him is you've just solidified a right defenseman for the next hopefully 15 years that's the hope and he plays a super like he's already such a mature player in that you know he's responsible and and you see his effective effectiveness in all three zones and i know i'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here because i just a few minutes ago said don't expect too much of red wings prospects right off the bat but if he had to pick a player out of the you know outside of like shane wright or cooley or slavkovsky who you're going to say they can come in and make an impact sooner rather than later you think nemich would be able to do it there's a big question mark there because you know the slovakian league compared to the ahl or nhl that's a big jump and like you said evan he's got the confidence to do it he's the type of guy who's would say i don't care i'm coming in i know how good i am and i'm gonna make a splash year one okay let's let's take this hypothetical because he's always chalked up against david yercheck for good reason two top defensemen uh or should be at least in this draft yercheck with the with the knee injury nemich who's been really impressive kind of the whole way through but coming out of slovakia don't look at this from the red wings perspective look at this from a team who needs a defenseman either hand who do you rank higher nemich yeah, I do as well. Up until maybe before the World Championships, I would have said Yurichek. And I don't think Yurichek's done necessarily anything wrong. People are right to be concerned about the knee injury, but that's, you know, if it was devastating, you'd know. But still, I, I just think Nemec has done so well at every level that you couldn't go wrong either way, but forced to choose, I'd take Nemec as well. Again, I don't see it as likely... Uh, for him to be available for the Red Wings. Look back at our Cutter Gauthier conversation uh, from last episode. This is a premium position. Red Wings fans might not think so because they just watched Murray Sider play right hand or play uh, defense on the right side all season. So they think there's not an immediate need. But league wide, a right shot defenseman to play on the top pair. Think of what Toronto fans would do for that. They would kill. Like Toronto fans would do anything to have that a lot of teams would do anything to have that so that is a premium position much like cutter gochier 
I think even if he wasn't, you know, a true second or third ranked player in the draft, I think it's very, very, very unlikely, even more unlikely than Gochi that he's available for the Red Wings at eight. But, you know, as Prashant said in in the uh, If I Were Steve Eisman article, this is a draft with a ton of variants. So you never know. He could be there. He's kind of all over the board, and he's a bolt on top 10. But he, when you look at the consolidated rankings of those that are updated, He's kind of all over the place in the top 10. Yeah, well, we'll see. All right, that's Simon Nemich. We are going to continue the series and ramp it up as we approach the draft. It's coming very, very shortly, um, and we're going to be taking a look at all possible Red Wings prospects around that eighth overall pick. And then we'll do some uh, what if the Red Wings trade up or down talks too, so don't think we're going to not get into that crazy world of hypotheticals as well. Let's jump over to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Stop me if you've heard this one before. The Tampa Bay Lightning are going to the Stanley Cup final. The Rangers, after going up 2-0 in their series, lost four straight games. And Tampa Bay now has an opportunity to win their third consecutive Stanley Cup. Absolutely unreal. But more importantly, Corey Perry has the opportunity to lose his third consecutive Stanley Cup final. If the way... Tampa Bay ruined their Stanley Cup juju was by taking on a cursed Corey Perry. That would probably be the most, the only satisfying way for Red Wings fans to see a Colorado Stanley Cup win. Is there any Red Wings fan who's even a little bit happy about these finals? I hate this. I don't want to watch any of it. Oh, like I, don't I, care I want them to. I want them to both lose. Like from a broader non-Red Wing hockey standpoint, this is going to be a phenomenal cup final. Like Colorado and Tampa, oh my God, those are two highly skilled teams, ultra competitive. It's going to be a really good series, but I want them to both lose so badly. And I think right now in this day and age and the way it's going, I think Colorado is the lesser of two evils. So, you know, you hope Darren Helm gets his cup you know, McKinnon and Landeskog and McCarr, they're the type of guys that you can't see them going their whole career without a puck. So uh, without a cup. So if this is where they knock it out, sure. But yeah, I'm not going to, I'm going to enjoy the hockey, but I'm going to hate every second of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you for thinking that. I think what I want as a neutral fan at the very least is seven games OT for all of them, because for the, the level that these teams are playing at, that's what we deserve. Uh, but that's tough. Here's the thing. Red Wings fans love to hate Colorado. We're about to watch the ESPN documentary on on that rivalry. I, it's, I still maintain the best rivalry in professional North American sports history. You love to hate Colorado. Being out of conference and being in con- two completely different worlds in terms of team talent right now, there's only so much you know substance behind that passion. So... Yeah, you know, I, I personally don't wish for any success for Colorado. I would sure like to see Stanley or um, Darren Helm, you know, get another Stanley Cup. As a uh, Atlantic Division opponent, do you necessarily want to see Tampa Bay Lightning win a third straight cup? Probably not for a lot of Red Wings fans, but the silver lining to that one is that's a team that was built largely in part by Steve Eisman's work over a lot of years as GM over there. So you could look at it and say that's just further solidifying Steve Eisman's legacy and is further testament to what he can do with the Red Wings. 
the further uh, the farther away you get from him jumping over the Red Wings, it's been three years now, or jumping over to the Red Wings, uh, the less substance I think that argument has. But still, Steve Eisenman did a lot of the work, the architecture, the building of that team that took time to find the success that they have now, but boy, are they in it. So unless you're team Meteor, I'm just team game seven, all OTs, and what happens, happens. I'm team Meteor. It's me. uh, a little bit of the unstoppable force versus the un- unmovable object in Andre Vasilevsky. I think it'll be a fascinating final. At least fingers are crossed. I'd probably just jinx it and it's going to be a 4 nothing blowout for Tampa Bay. <laughs> blame Evan. If it goes wrong, just blame Evan. Let's let's talk about Vasilevsky and let's talk about the, the Rangers and the Lightning specifically. I understand and we'll talk more in a second about how this all fits in in terms of team play and defense and the support behind Vasilevsky. But is there a more clutch player in sports right now than Andre Vasilevsky in a potential elimination game? Like, I'm amazed the Rangers no. got a goal. Uh, they did better than six of the previous seven uh, teams who attempted to uh, score on Vasilevsky in, in an elimination game. So, you know, kudos to Frank Vitrano, a true unicorn. But uh, no, yeah, Vasilevsky is Mr. Reliable. He's, at worst, he's never going to lose a game for you, which we've seen from many other goalies uh, these playoffs, Mike Smith. Um, But when he's on, he will absolutely steal games. That being said, in game six, I know it was only 2-1. The Rangers were never in that game. Even when they tied it, they were not in that game. If people want to know what, Steve Eiserman means and why he has, we'll call it a type of player that he looks to acquire. Game six was the shining example of it. These guys are skilled, but they buy in on everything. Stamkos is blocking shots. Kucherov is throwing hits. Anytime the Rangers got the puck uh, in the offensive zone, Tampa was selling out defensively all five guys, but they're good enough when that puck gets down into the other zone. They're pushing offensively because they know they're going to have five guys busting ass back if they turn that puck over. So, you know, it's textbook how to win in the playoffs hockey. You can be skilled and you should utilize your skill, but you have to have buy-in from everybody. So if you want to know what it means when, you know, scouts say oh he's competitive well yeah no shit every hockey player is competitive that's the point of the damn sport now this is this is what they mean they the guys who will go out of their comfort zone and just do literally whatever it takes to win and you know tampa has put on a clinic of that the last three years yeah brad that is such a good point and if you ever get frustrated with the compete question, like it's to the point now where it's almost a self-sustaining system with Tampa Bay. Like when they talk about players getting it together, they talk about, you know, Hedman talking to the room and getting it together. They talk about Kucherov, uh, you know, talking to the forward group or his line mates or himself to say, here's what we have to do to win, even though we might be outclassed in X, Y, or Z this series. John Cooper is often talking about it as if he's in uh, an uninvolved party. Like he's just spectating in the room, not saying anything. That's obviously not the truth, but they've built and they fostered this team that is just going to find a way to win however they can. Evan said this the other episode, and I really liked uh, the point he made. The difference in the playoffs, and this is going to sound like a you know a meaningless platitude, but it, it genuinely does mean something here. The difference in the playoffs isn't about what team stacks up better 
on paper. It's about what team finds a way to win. And that is so much more, you know, salient or so much more true, especially when you are the perceived underdog in one way or another. And now I don't think Tampa were underdogs against the Rangers, but I think Tampa stole two wins that could have been Rangers wins this series. You know, two goals with very, very late in the game, like under two minutes left or whatever it was. That sucks the life out of a team. I don't disagree, Brad. I don't think Tampa Bay or I don't think the Rangers were really in it in game six, but the two the two wins that Tampa Bay won late, I think that just took the life and the soul and the spirit out of the Rangers, especially after they they took that two nothing series lead. For them to lose that way, especially when they had that opportunity to go up three nothing until Tampa Bay came back that game. That's the difference. That's a difference between a team who knows how to win and just a very good team. And look, I don't think the Rangers stacked up to the lightning on paper. I think the Rangers with an above average goalie rather than a possible best goalie on the planet right now. And Igor Shesterkin doesn't even make it to the Eastern conference finals, but they had every opportunity to win this series and Tampa Bay just did what they've done for the past 11 series in a row, which is find a way to win. Yeah. Vasilevsky's clutch, but let's say he's not clutch and he's doing what Brad said at worst, not losing the game. The defense collapses in around him to support Kucherov comes up with a phenomenal performance. You know, Hedman shows up. Sergachev ends up scoring a goal to win a game, which, you know, a lot of Tampa fans would have laughed if he said that. They did all this without Braden Point. How do you bet against these guys, man? Colorado is is the one team you can take that. But, you know, going back to, to the Rangers here, you almost think that their two games, not to say they weren't deserved, but let's say Tampa wasn't so rusty coming into the series because of their extended break. I don't even know if they go up two games. I, I just think they were outclassed and just in terms of, of, of knowing what it takes to win in these playoffs. Tampa Bay showed New York and like every other team that they've played so far in the playoffs, what it takes to win and what you have to do to win. Like first two games against the Rangers, I thought, Tampa looked a little rusty and then they looked a little bit shocked by the speed of, of the Rangers. But after that, they settled in and got back to what they did. They do best. And it's basically just been a masterclass in playoff hockey. They shut down the other team's offense in a way that it's almost frightening. Again, I, I wouldn't pin that again on, on Colorado, but it just goes to show what that team is doing to their opponents. Masterclass you know, unrivaled efforts, gutsy performances. They're all platitudes that would make you roll your eyes when you hear a coach or a commentator that you hate the most say it or say a podcast host that you loathe. But it's been true time and time again for Tampa Bay. I'm going to take this this very, very thin silver lining win for Red Wings fans. I'm happy the, the same GM who was the architect of a large part of this is, is in Detroit right now. Took a long time. They had to go through quite a bit of it. We all remember what happened against Columbus with Tampa Bay, but man, they're, they're a dominant force right now. And who knows what's going to happen in these finals. You still have to think that they're in the fold next year too. That's, that's the thing with Tampa. They're built to be sustainable. Let's jump into our segment sponsored by the FanDuel Sportsbook, where we take a look at some betting odds, make our predictions based on the Tampa Bay, Colorado series, as well as uh, some Stanley Cup odds. So thank you to the FanDuel Sportsbook for uh, sponsoring this segment. And let's get us started. Why don't we take a look at who you bet on to win the Stanley Cup? The favorite still 
is the Colorado Avalanche at a minus 180 with the Tampa Bay Lightning at plus 155. And I honestly can't come in here and say that I have a firm preference one way or another. I just got done saying, how do you bet against Tampa Bay? And you have a chance to take Tampa Bay as an underdog. Imagine you took them 2 nothing down against the Rangers, right? So you're coming in at an even slate against the Colorado Avalanche. It looks like they're going to have you know, their starting goaltender back. A large part of their health will be there. No Kadri after his wrist surgery will will be something. I, they're going to cut it close there. I just don't imagine he's going to be at full health, even if he does miraculously get on the ice. It's going to be an interesting series, and I, I I really don't know which way I lean. Colorado has lost two games in these playoffs so far. I hate betting against Tampa because they're Tampa, but this you know we this term's a little overused in society these days. But that team is built different. They have four to six legitimate superstars, all of whom are at the peak of their powers right now. It's it's a sight to behold. The only thing, though, is Tampa's got a Vasilevsky. Colorado doesn't. So, I don't know. I, I still feel like I'm going with Colorado just because like I can't bring myself to bet against McKinnon and Bacar and Landeskog and Rantanen and Taze like it's it's comical how stacked they are but if there's a team that can do it it's Tampa but you know a minus 180 on Colorado is about as good of odds as you're gonna get on the avalanche ever yeah if there's any team that can do it it's Tampa but I would still go with Colorado at this this moment like they've lost two games that is ridiculous um and they're just going now thinking about it Braden Point may be back for this series. We'll see how that works. Um, it's going to be pretty hard for him to jump into the playoffs now that he's missed two rounds and it's now the Stanley Cup final. But if he can play 60% of his capacity, uh, he'll be a big addition to that team. So I'm going to say Colorado, but damn it. Why do I feel like Tampa Bay is could do it could do it again and again and again? Yeah, you mentioned Evan that Braden Point is likely to come back at some point in the series. They they called it unlikely that he's back for Game One, which starts on Wednesday, so June fifteenth. But if they're saying Braden Point's going to come back at at any point in the series, that's a big boon, right? Yeah, they got past a Rangers team without him. Colorado's a much taller task and that's no slight on the Rangers you can you can call Colorado the best team in the playoffs of all 16 teams and you couldn't be called crazy for that so they're gonna need all hands on the on deck and to no point is coming back that means something Vasilevsky versus um, Darcy Kemper who's coming off of injury or you know let's say they for one reason or another Francois come back comes back in for Kemper it doesn't matter which way you cut it Vasilevsky is a difference maker there and not just He should be the better goalie, as in he has proven to be the best goalie in the world in clutch moments time and time again. And until he stops, until he falters, when push comes to shove, in my mind, I can't bet against that. Can you pick um, the Conn Smythe winners? That's what we're going to do next. Yeah, so Vasilevsky is listed at a 450 alongside teammate Nikita Kucherov, a plus 450. The two favorites are Kale McCarr at a plus 185 and Nathan McKinnon at a plus 220, which lines up with Colorado being the favorites. 
Steven Stamkos is a distant plus 1400 and then Darcy Kemper at plus 2300. If Darcy Kemper comes in and di- like dishes four shutouts where Colorado's getting absolutely shelled, that's how he would do it. But all in all, I'd say unlikely. You're not wrong, Evan. Vasilevsky might be the move there, especially if you're like me and you think Tampa Bay is is who you're going to bet on here. I think Vasilevsky at, at plus 450 is really good. But hey, Kale McCarr. If Colorado wins, how do you not pick Kale McCarr right now, right? I think outside of outside of Connor McDavid, I think he's been one of the best players in the game. Yeah, period. What was that one stat about defensemen having five-point games in the playoffs? It's only happened four times in history, and Kale McCarr has two of them this season. Like, if like obviously the cup finals determines a lot, so it, it's really hard. And that's why some of the longer odds like Vasilevsky are good bets, but between these two teams, if you were handing out the Conn Smythe today, it's it's Kale McCarr, and it's not all that close. All right, we're going to see how it unfolds. Thank you to the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring that segment. Uh, we're excited to watch the Stanley Cup final, unless you are of the mind of Brad Crisco, in which case, uh, all the best in, in trying to get a, a four-game sweep. If it is, well... Blame Evan if you don't like that. All right, we're going to jump into overtime here, uh, which is first and foremost brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, help support the show, give us uh, the opportunity to run the show, even during the Red Wings offseason, bring you all these prospect profiles, allow us to record remotely when uh, Brad is mere inches away from death, and that is not a short joke. Um, no, seriously, thank you all to... Uh, to all of our patrons, it, it really means the world. We were just chatting earlier today how much, uh, how significant it is that you guys allow us to do this. It, it means a lot. So patreon.com slash wheel podcast. Okay. Let's take some questions starting with our uh, patrons. Josh Brink says, with the Bolts going to their third straight finals, it got me thinking. Who do you think is the team of the salary cap era? Meaning the franchise that embodied success in this version of the NHL. Unfortunately, I think it's Pittsburgh, three cups, four appearances, constant contender, but I think Tampa can make a case now. Three straight cup finals is insane. Um, For me, it is Tampa as much as that pains me uh, to admit, because it's easy to think just in recency bias, and obviously you'd assume it's recency bias, but man, Tampa, this isn't their third cup final in the salary cap era. It's their fourth. And the only reason they lost to the Hawks that year was uh, their starting goalie and one of their star players were injured for the cup finals. Uh, Two of their star players, actually, I believe. And then they've had multiple game seven losses, multiple, at least one game seven loss in the conference finals along the way as well. They have been in the final four as much or more than anybody in the, in the uh, cap era. So, I, I don't know. Like, you can make a case for Pittsburgh. You can make a case for Chicago. Obviously, that's tainted now. But, yeah, for me, it, it's still Tampa. So, question here from Ryan Hanna's missed year of development. It says, seeing either Tampa or Colorado win the Cup this year will make me cringe a little. Got me wondering, though, what teams would make up the most reprehensible Cup final? My vote is Chicago-Toronto. Oh, that, that was be, mine. That, that's the one. For Red Wings fans, that is just like the most pure guttural hatred towards both teams. Yeah. Obviously, there's worse combinations, but they're all in the Eastern Conference beyond Chicago uh, primarily. So, 
Yeah, it, Toronto, Chicago is the worst. I'd say a close second would be Boston, Chicago, but we've already had that one, so we can, you know, check that one off. Question here from Rick Choate says, uh, since this season had the highest goal scoring since 95-96 and the lowest save percentages we've seen since 06-07, what are the chances you guys put on players demanding higher contracts this year and those numbers regressing more to the mean of previous years and lots of teams are left with players underperforming those contracts? I'm just imagining plenty of teams regretting some contracts if those numbers regress. Well, that's not really a a fully fair statement uh, because – Everything is relative, right? If, you know, let's say Johnny Goudreau puts up 110 points this year and commands X dollars. Scoring regresses, he puts up 95 points in a few years. Again, hypothetically. So he he drops by 15 points. But if almost everybody else in the league is dropping by 15 points-ish, give or take five, and scoring is down across the league, percentage-wise and relatively speaking, he's still the same level above his peers which means he's still getting paid the appropriate percentage so it may look bad but again this is one of the things that makes the salary cap so tricky because it's all relative all right comment here from uh, patron jeremy Dahl, who's getting married today jeremy congratulations to you and your fiance who will probably be your wife by the time you're listening to this miss Chantel, suzanne natasha Dahl. congratulations to both of you i hope you had uh, a perfect day with little stress and and congratulations um a hockey question from, from jeremy how much do you have to play in the playoffs to get your name on the cup like will kadri get his name on the cup even though he missed the entire last round and would you feel happy to get your name on the cup if you were him knowing you missed the last round of the playoffs thanks guys i look forward to, uh, to listening to you before i go to bed uh on my wedding night oh man you can delay it if you want it's your wedding night um the, the qualifications to get a player on a cup are generally having played half the season or one game in the stanley cup final so 41 games or whatever the season is, if it's shortened and uh, or one game in the Stanley Cup final teams do have a certain amount of names that they can throw on there. The number like 55 or 52 or something is sticking out in my mind and they can petition to have players in extenuating circumstances having their names added, um, which are approved or not by the league. But generally, you got to play a game in the Stanley Cup final or, or play half the season. And OK, let's say you you your cadre and you miss the Stanley cup final in my mind, he would still want his name on the cup. I'd feel great about that. Who cares? Not your fault. You got injured. So how many guys have never won a cup that would kill to be a healthy scratch for 98% of the playoffs, but still get their name on the cup. And that's happened before. Like black aces players who were called up from the AHL to basically just man the roster in case of devastating injury. By the final round, attrition has taken place and there has been devastating injury. And there's a guy who will play like literally four minutes in game five or game three of a seven game series. His team will win and his name goes in the cup and he'll never play a regular season game with that team again for the rest of his career. Or that might be it. And their name is on the cup just because that's that's how it qualifies. So, yeah, it certainly happens. And, and, you know, those players, it, it does mean something to them. I could see people thinking, oh, I would want to be more meaningful uh, to have a more meaningful role in a, a cup final run, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who's going to uh, to complain. Um, 
from Kodak Black's date says, Hey guys, I was just thinking about Eisman's past three first round picks with Detroit, and I just can't see him making a safer pick like Casper. Sider was a big swing. Raymond was a safer pick and Edvinson had some issues at the time he's reformed. I know trying to predict who he's going to pick is impossible, but I just think if he's going to swing, it should be Savoy. Also 100% Heronic is moved by next deadline. He's signed short term and he's not worth the money he's making, but I'm sure some team needs a right-handed D. I want to comment on Casper. I've mentioned that we're going to have to revisit him. I don't really necessarily believe that he's a safer pick. I think he's less flashy of a player, in my opinion, but he checks a lot of boxes. And I think a lot of credit is given to, okay, look at Simon Nemich. He was credit. He was called a not flashy player, but he would be a no-brainer for the Red Wings at eight. He'd be a no-brainer for a lot of teams at three, four, or five even. I think you can't really pigeonhole Casper as a safer pick. I think he's a little bit more of an unknown quantity for me in terms of what his overall ceiling is. But, you know, being certain that he's going to play center, that that makes it a little bit more of a high-end pick. I'm not sure that that's where I fall, but I, I don't I struggle to call him a safe pick. I don't like the term safe pick, period. And I know I've talked about this before, and you use it, we'll use it for context every once in a while. I don't think, you know the quote unquote safeness of whatever you want to classify it as between Savoy and Casper matters. I just think Savoy is more talented. So that's why he should be the pick. Could you argue Casper's got a lower seeing higher, higher floor? Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Um, but is it a safe pick if the guy you picked at eighth overall is your fourth line center? No, not really. That's still a, a failure relative to the pick. So yeah, Stevie, looks for the highest skill he can get in a highly competitive player. So there's a lot of players who check that box in and around where the Red Wings are picking. Chill Jazz R&B Vibes says, and I think they're making fun of a playlist I put in the Discord once, says, do you think the Red Wings make a run at anyone the Hawks like Doc, Debrinket, or Strom? Also, is there any interest in trading for the number two pick? Um, Debrinket or Doc, yes. Of course, but those are going to be pricey, pricey players in my mind. You would almost want to take take a look at what it would take to get Doc, right? Because if you believe in Kirby Doc as a player, now is the time to buy because his value would be lower now than later. Unless you don't think he's all that he was chalked up to be at the position he was drafted. But hey, for the Red Wings who are looking for centermen of the future, Kirby Doc could be an answer. Potentially. Some would say so. Not everybody. Not me. Where do you? Oh, I was going to um, say, where do you fall, Brad? Um, Eisman's not doing his job if he's not calling. But yeah, I don't. For what they would cost, I, I will call it a long shot. All right. Uh, time for some Reddit questions. We have time for a couple. Jarumba says, this may be a dumb question, but why can't Lucas Raymond play center and be our number two C? Um you know, players switch between positions a lot over their career. There's nothing to say Lucas Raymond couldn't play center. I think he has the the brain for it, but there's a little cost-benefit analysis, right? Like on a much smaller level, look at the experiment of moving Robbie Fabry to center when the Red Wings really needed one. It worked. It was fine. But he's much better served as a winger. It, it can be done, um, but you have to have you have to be the right type of player. And it does add a lot more responsibility to your plate. And I know we had this conversation a bit in previous episodes, but 
obviously this is something I can relate to a little bit because I got moved to center partway through the season this year and I hadn't played center since minor hockey. But it's even the little things like um, the game within the game. The centerman in any level of pro hockey is responsible for being kind of the general on the ice. You are the number one communicator. You are setting everybody up before a draw. You are, you know, yelling for coverages or yelling for switches or that when the coach is talking to your line on the bench, he's addressing you, your line. You, he expects your line mates to be listening, but he's yelling at you. Um, and then you get into the actual positionality of it. Well, Raymond's, He's quick, but he's not fast, which usually helps at center. Again, it's not a prerequisite, but he Raymond's more of a specialist in the way he plays. I think his game's suited to the wing. Could he play center? Yes, I think he's talented enough and mature enough and competitive enough to play center. Do I think his skill set as it is is maximized? at center. No, I do not, which is the question a lot of coaches ask of a lot of players at a lot of stops along their career. So if you see someone like Lucas Raymond, who's supremely skilled, but has played winger in junior in the J20, in the SHL, in the world juniors, in the NHL, there's a reason for that. It's because every one of their his coaches thought he was better on the wing and he was maximized on the wing. So if you can take a guy like that and have him hyper focus on a few things, which is the benefit of being a winger and why people consider winger to be a little easier. Do it. It's not a bad thing. Like I feel like because Red Wings fans have got so deep in this hole of we need a center and it's such a talking point around the draft. We, we devalue wingers because of it, but no, it's, it's still super important. And a guy like Raymond fills that. All right. Um, Last question here. Let's go from let's kill time. It says last year, the Hawks tried to beef up their roster by acquiring uh, Jones and gave up a first, which turns out to be a top 10 pick in the draft for the Jackets. Which team do you think Stevie could trade Burt or Hronik to and end up with a high first rounder due to the other team being not that good? It's an interesting question. And, and you kind of need like a perfect formula of a team being very stupid, which Chicago was, especially being at the time. I don't know. I don't think you should bet against Boston, but if they have their personnel go against them and that they don't get Bergeron back and, and you know, Krejci doesn't return, but they still want to try to compete. They have a lot of injuries there. They might try to shore up. That could be one. What kind of push? You have to look for that. You have to look for that team that thinks they're better than they are and they want to beef up. Um, I was going to say Buffalo feels like they're probably ready to take a step, but Kevin Adams has actually been pretty good since he got there. The team that I, I kind of circle for this as the, they're so bad and I don't think their GM realizes it is Philly. They still think that they are not going into a rebuild, which is certainly a choice. Um, so they may be the candidate for the the bad team that thinks they're good. And if you're looking at the team that's on the up and up, that is probably at a good window to be aggressive. But if enough goes wrong for them, they could be really bad again. Maybe New Jersey. Um, and they're both being aggressive. So those are the two I kind of zero in on. Ottawa is 
it really depends on how gutsy they get. Although their whole ownership question and what's going to happen there, you don't know how long Pierre Dorian's going to last there. If he stays, then maybe I think that's a little bit more likely. But yeah, that's another one to me where it might happen. It's hard. It makes sense. The rebuild's over. Yeah, they did say it. Okay. Why don't we wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast? Brad, we'll give you an opportunity to recover. Hopefully, we'll be back in studio next episode. Um, and hopefully, you're there to join us and uh, feeling a lot better. Hate to hear you like this, buddy. It makes it harder to make fun of you. Although, you did dish it back to me pretty good on Twitter. I almost fell off the couch laughing. Uh, all right. Why don't we uh, wrap up? Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We'd like to thank all of you for listening. Our name level supporters on Patreon, the, the heart and soul behind the show, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels uh, on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Ter- Terry Driver of the Number 69, Cry and Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutanen Andaluski, Chimmy, Chumbawamba, not Chumbawamba, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Ensdam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesnit, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Helm Was Held Back by Blashill, Hassam Al Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, I Miss Evans Rich Man's Laugh, uh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, uh, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheese Bags, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Trevor Pevavar, Wish.com, Shea Weber, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar, as well as Zgrass is, o- <laughs> Zgrass is always greener. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate you tuning in, and we'll be back with you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.